My name is Dara Jordan and um, I am a, getting a master's in nutrition at UT Southwestern. I started um, on the, my spiritual journey sitting at a table at Starbucks. Um, I was just searching mentally for um, the spiritual aspect of myself and um, I guess what I was needing was a spiritual relationship and I started that process by deciding, A, was there a God? Um, and how do I get closer to that God? Um, and I ended up in Christianity. I, I was really afraid of going to church um, because I felt like there were all these expectations and people would want stuff from me. And um, so I, my neighbors, actually, um, my sweet neighbors, they, they started having a Bible study slash church in their home. And um, so I figured that God couldn't make that any easier for me unless he put it into my own house. I think that Munger amplified my spiritual nourishment because it provided an instant community of like-minded people um, who were just as flawed and uh, just as needy and just as willing to you know, try it out um, as me. And I, I felt like whenever I entered Munger Place, um, people weren't expecting me to be anything other than exactly who I was and where I was at at that point in time. I want to be all in for God because I get to be um, as generous um, as I could possibly imagine um, because it's not my resources that I'm utilizing, it's, it's God's. So my account doesn't ever get debited. It's nice. Good morning. My name is Andrew Forrest. I'm the pastor of this congregation. Welcome to worship here at Munger Place. <clears throat> when I asked my friend Dara Jordan to be in that brief video, she was a little bit hesitant because she said, well, I'm, I'm not perfect. And I thought back to a year ago when she was going to be baptized here on a Sunday morning, and I know she was nervous that day. But the reason I wanted to let you see her example, and we showed you a video with Leon Jackson last week, we have another video coming up next week, because I want to show you the examples of people in our church who don't claim to be perfect or have it all together, or have no fears, or no concerns, and no anxieties, but they just reached a point where they say, I'm just going to commit, I'm just going for it. I'm sure Dara still has questions about what it means to be a faithful Christian, just like all of us do, things that maybe intellectually trouble her from time to time, but she said, I'm not going to let all those things be excuses for me anymore. I know Leon, my friend Leon, is the same way. I know I'm the same way. I know lots of us are the same way. We, it's not that everything is perfect in our lives and we have it all together. We understand everything, but there's a point where we just say, I'm just going for it. I'm just going to commit. So we're in the midst of a sermon series we're calling All In, and here's why. And I've made this bold statement for the last three weeks. If this church on a Sunday morning ceased to exist, if you were to drive down Greenville Avenue and there wouldn't be any people out front and the doors would be shuttered and locked, I hope... This would be a worse place to live. I hope the children have less purpose and the teenagers have less love. Marriages have less harmony. I hope the streets are less safe and the parks are dirtier and the poor are less cared for. And I have to tell you, even saying those things in my stomach makes me sick because I want the opposite. But that's the point. I want us to be a church that makes a difference. But one of the things that the scriptures have told us and which God's people have told us for thousands of years is that God can most use people when they're all in, when they're committed, when they're not holding anything back, when there's no more excuses, no more lukewarm, no longer sitting on the fence, no more kicking the tires, when they said, okay, I'm just going to commit, I'm just going for it. And I want to encourage us as a church, and I want to encourage uh, myself as a, 
as a person, and you as well, to be the sort of people that do the homework, ask the questions, do the preparation, but at some point you're standing up there on the edge, you got the parachute, and you just, you just have to step and go for it. And we're looking at different areas of the Christian life and say, what does it mean to be all in in this area? What does it mean to be all in uh, for others? What does it mean to be all in with what we have, our possessions? Today I want to look at perhaps one of the most important, I think it is the most important, I'll say that, element of the Christian life. What does it look like to be all in with prayer? With prayer. If there was ever a topic that was more readily referred to and less practiced and less understood than prayer, I don't know what it is. Maybe you've been at one of these uh, planning events for a, a party. Let's say it's a wedding, okay, and it's a spring wedding, and you're on the planning committee for the spring wedding, and you're having it outside in Dallas. And you know, it could be a beautiful, perfect, pearl, clear, blue sky day, like today, or it could be a rainy day. It even rains in Dallas sometimes in the spring, right? And you don't know. And so somebody will say, you know what, we should pray for good weather. And everybody goes, yeah, yeah, we should pray for good weather. And no one thinks it's going to happen because of their prayers, and no one even believes that that's what they will be praying about. And I wonder if you've been in those situations and you've said the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah, let's pray about good weather. But you don't really believe your prayers make a difference. I think we're the sort of people that refer to prayer a lot with actually, without actually believing in it. And I think there's a good reason. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But the good news is, is that I think that you and I have the same issues with prayer that some people have had for all times and places, including the disciples when they encountered Jesus. If you spend any time reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll notice that Jesus was someone who prayed. It will often say, and early in the morning as he was off praying, or after he had spent the day healing and being with the crowd, he withdrew to where he could pray. It happens all the time. To the extent that Jesus' disciples, I think, noticed that he was a praying person, they noticed that he was praying in a way that seemed to really believe in prayer, that there was something there. And if you've ever been around people who seem to be at a different spiritual plane than you, there's something incredibly attractive about it. And you say, I'd like to be like that. And the disciples have that reaction to Jesus. Here, this is Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. Verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Isn't that interesting that these Jewish boys, who presumably had been praying all their lives, the same way that you and I might pray before a meal sometimes or pray when we're sick or, or at a moment of crisis. We think we know how to pray, but they saw somebody who seemed to take prayer to another level and they said, Lord, teach us to pray like John's disciples. Uh, that means John the Baptist. John the Baptist had, must have had a particular way of praying that he taught his disciples. And unlike often in the scriptures when Jesus might tell a parable right away or say, you know, you ignorant disciples, aren't you listening? He actually answers their question. He must find they must need help praying. And this is what he says. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Have you heard that before? The Lord's Prayer. Did you know that it's called the Lord's Prayer because the Lord is the one who taught it? Which means that the words themselves aren't really what matter. I mean, after all, Jesus wasn't speaking English. And most Christians in the world don't pray in English. It's not the actual words. It's not a magic spell, but it's the things that Jesus is talking about. You might, next time you have a time of prayer, approach the Lord's Prayer as a series of topics. 
In any case, he teaches them the Lord's Prayer, and then he tells this fascinating parable, which is what I want to focus on today. Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. And then Jesus says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And there's just a little note in my Bible, and if you're reading along, you probably have a little footnote in your Bible. That's actually uh, a translation that's a little bit disagreed upon. A lot of people say what it should say is, because of the man, the man was ashamed, he got up and gives him as much as he needs. In other words, because the man who's being asked is ashamed to refuse, he's going to go ahead and do it. So verse 8 might read it like this. I tell you, though he will, that is, the guy inside, won't get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, because friendship isn't enough, yet because of, the, of his shame at not getting up, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. That's another alternative reading, which I'll come back to. And then Jesus summarizes. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone, that means everyone, as far as I know, that means everyone's here today. People who believe and don't believe. People of all different sorts of skin colors and different amounts uh, and their ATM machine. People who have been Christians for 30 years and people who just walked into a church for the first time today. Everyone who asks receives. And he who will seek finds. To him who knocks, the door will be open. And then finally he says, and which of you human fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks you for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, though you are far from perfect, you might say, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's a powerful point. If you, who are far from perfect, are able of doing good things to people, how much more your loving God? Let's pray. God, take my words and speak through them today. Take our minds, Lord, and open them and speak to them. And take our hearts today and set them on fire for you and for your world. Amen. This is one of the few parables that I can think of, I'm sure there's a few more, in which it's not helpful to try to look and say, okay, who's God in the parable and who isn't? Jesus tells a story. There was a guy, he was in bed. His kids were in bed, the door was locked, it was midnight. Midnight is late for us, but in the ancient world, you didn't get up in the middle of the night. Why? There's no electricity, there's no, there's no lights. Being up at night is a modern invention. So midnight, they're in bed asleep. Everything's fine. You hear a knock at the door. It's your friend from down the street. He says, hey, can you give me some bread? I have a guest I need to entertain. I need you to help me out. And the guy says, I don't want to do that. My kids are asleep. If I get up, do you know how long it took me to put the four-month-old to bed? We'll never go back to sleep. I'm not doing it. Go, go down the street. But Jesus says, because he'd be ashamed not to, ultimately... Because in that culture, hospitality was the number one cultural value to show that you were committed to other people, and you'd be a pariah in the community if you were known as someone who was not hospitable. Because he'd be ashamed not to, he would reluctantly get up, wake the kids up, get the bread, and give it to his friend who asked. So who's God in that story? Might be the question. And I don't think God is in that story. I think Jesus tells that story as a point of comparison. 
Let me give you a modern day example. This is not a parable. This is true. A few uh, months ago, it was uh, probably about 10 o'clock in the evening. My wife and I were watching a movie, ready to go to bed. We heard our doorbell ring. I'm thinking, who is ringing my doorbell at 10 o'clock at night? And I wasn't going to answer it if they had just one, rung one time, but it rang several times, and I said, okay, i got to do it. So I went, reluctantly opened the door, and it was a homeless guy that I know from the community. And I thought, gosh, you know, it's late at night. I don't know the safety issues with here. I don't know if I'll open the door, but I did. And the reason I did is because I'm known as a pastor, which means I'm like a professional Christian, which means <laughs> if, if I refuse to open my door to somebody in need, man, I just, that's just a bad thing. I can't, I, can't, I can't let that happen. So out of basically a sense of guilt and shame and obligation, not even a real desire to help, if I'm being totally honest, that I opened the door, I encountered the guy we talked, and I even gave him a little bit of help, what he needed. And I have to tell you, I don't even think it's a good idea in those situations to give the kind of help this guy needed. Because I think that actually causes more of a problem than it helps. And around this church, we're trying to be really smart about how we help people in need. But I was there, it was late at night, and I felt obligated. I felt like I had to do it, and I helped him out. What Jesus is trying to say is, listen, when you don't want to get up, but you still will just out of obligation, if even you, who are so far from perfect who are so far from desiring the good things that God wants for everybody else, if even you will sometimes help somebody in need, how much more, is the point of the parable, will your heavenly Father help those who ask? And then he says, you know, everyone who asks will receive, and those who seek will find, and those who knock shall have it open to them. How much more will God hear and Respond to our prayers, being the one who's perfect and wants this blessing and wholeness and flourishing for all of us is the point. You know, if in, in, in America or in Western Christianity, a lot of us have these real half-hearted prayers where we pray sometimes, and like I mentioned before, we pray but we don't even really believe it will happen. But if you've ever encountered any Christians in other parts, from other parts of the world, from the global south or from Africa or from Asia, Man, you'll see people who really believe in prayer. And I've just been thinking recently, you know, I, I wonder if, if we just got it backwards. I, I wonder if, if one of the few things we actually do have control over is prayer. If that's one of the few tools we have in our tool belt, so to speak. Because if you think about it, almost everything that happens in the world is beyond your control. Let, let's say you have a big deal tomorrow morning. You're, in a, you're a local business owner and you have a big deal that's going through tomorrow morning. You can commit on your end, you can sign your signature, you can have done your due diligence and investigated it. But almost everything else that takes to make it happen is far beyond your control. You have no control over it. Or let's say you are a parent, and, and man, you, you are really a great parent. You've been praying for your child uh, for years, you're committed to your child's welfare, you model what godly parenting looks like, you teach the children, as it says in Proverbs, the way they should go. You give them all, everything they need, but your kids are still... People who can have their own free will, make their own choices. And a lot of you experience the pain of giving your kids everything they need and see them walk in a way that leads to destruction. In the same way, I think, all of us, all we can really do about most things in our lives are pray. I was talking to a friend of mine who is here today on, on Friday, and he and his wife are in a stressful situation with some things in their life. And I said, have you prayed about it? He said, well, that's what my wife keeps saying. She just wants to pray about it. And I say, we got to do something about it. We can't just pray about it. And I thought, that's my friend, and I've often felt the same way, sums up an attitude I think so many of us have. 
It's like you bake the cake, you have the ice cream, and then you might sprinkle some sprinkles on the top. Now, sprinkles don't hurt anything. In fact, I could say they help a lot. You know, a cake is always helped uh, with sprinkles, and so is ice cream. But, you know, even I, who am addicted to sweets, would be okay if I didn't have sprinkles on my ice cream because, you know, you got the other stuff there. And a lot of us approach prayer like that, I think. Do the other stuff, and it can't hurt to pray a little bit, but come on, it's the other stuff that matters. And, of course, there's a sense in which this is right, and you all know this, if the doctor says your arteries are clogged, it makes no sense to keep reaching for the bacon and say, God, just clean up my arteries. That's crazy. You know, God gives us some free will, or as my friend Billy Abraham says, the Holy Spirit is not a labor-saving device. (laughs) I love that phrase. But there's another sense in which I think prayer is actually the foundation. It's the one thing that God has given us that really makes a difference, that really matters. And I'm just wondering, when the last time in which, in which when, when was the last time when you approached God with whatever was on your heart and really passionately prayed for all kinds of things, trusting that our God, who cares about this world to an incredible extent, is going to hear and respond? When was the last time, day after day, you really truly prayed for the schools in our community? I mean, the dropout rate and the teen pregnancy rate of DISD is shameful. It should make us all feel sick in our stomachs. When is the last time you actually got on your knees and prayed passionately that God would do a miracle in our schools? That he'd give teachers compassion they don't have on their own? That he'd lead the children away from temptation, as it says in the Lord's Prayer, and towards him? When is the last time you prayed, Lord, reconcile broken families? Bring back absentee and deadbeat dads into the family. When is the last time you really prayed like that? Jesus says, ask, and you will receive. And I'd like us to be the kind of church that is known to be passionately in prayer for everything, from the largest to the smallest things. See, if we have an idea that God is just far out there, not really involved in the day-to-day affairs, then we're not going to pray. But if, but if we actually trust the scriptures and the testimony of other Christian people throughout the world, we're going to be people who bring all things to God in prayer. And prayer, as Dallas Willard says, is a self-validating exercise, a self-validating activity. To put it another way, the more you pray, the more you actually see God answering your prayers. In a second, I want to talk about the times when it seems God isn't hearing or answering, but, but I have to tell you, even from my experience in prayer, and I'm like a like what? I'm like a preschooler in prayer. I, I am so weak at it. I'm just learning about it. But even I can tell you, the more I pray, the more I see the effects of my prayers. It's like if you, if you have somebody in your life that you just need them to exercise, or maybe that's you in your life that just needs to exercise, and you want to say to somebody, listen, man, if you could just commit to get up early and take that one run two weeks in a row, or if you could just hit the gym for two weeks, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it'll pay off. You'll begin to like exercises, and though it sounds crazy, and you'll want to do it. But if you've ever started something like that, you know the first couple of days, you're tired, you're hungry, you're getting up early, your legs hurt, you don't want to do it, and you say, it's just too hard, I want to quit. I think the more we pray, and the more we commit to it, the more God blesses it and shows us the power of our prayers. In the same way that maybe you've been in AA for a long time and you've been walking sober for a long time and you know the power of the 12 steps and you have a, a friend maybe you're, of whom you're the sponsor and you're saying, I know you just started, I know it's been one day since you've been sober, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it makes a difference. 
Right now it seems like a burden, but soon it will seem like freedom. I think prayer is the same way. And I'm just wondering if so many of us have such weak, ineffective prayer lives because we only pray a few minutes every now and then. We never stick with it. Could I challenge you to begin to be all in with prayer? To pick a topic and just nail it day after day? Make Monday's the day you pray about the schools. Tuesday's the day you pray about our politicians. Wednesday, the day you pray about your children and your family. Thursday, the day you pray about your finances. Friday, the day you pray about the church. Saturday, you pray for the world. What if you just began to pray like that? How might God use it? Now, some of you are thinking, that sounds nice, but what about all the times in which we did pray and God didn't seem to answer the prayers? Well, there's, a, frankly, a pretty obvious response to some of those situations. Jesus seems to commend here, by the way, persistence in prayer. And if you've ever had a small child at home, you'll know about persistence. My son will come up to me. I don't know how he gets the energy or the vocal cords, and he will say, go play, go play, go play, go play, go play, go play, go play. And he gets, he's not discouraged. It doesn't matter how many times he says, go play, go play, go play. He wants to make sure I hear him. He is totally shameless in his petitions of me. Doesn't matter at all, not embarrassed, doesn't matter where we are. When he has a need, he wants to express it. And now sometimes I can't think of anything better than to take him out and play trucks. That's just what we want to do. And I'll say, yes, let's go play trucks. And other times I'll say, I can't do it right now. We're about to eat dinner. After dinner we can play. And other times he'll say, I want to go play, and it's 8.30 at night, and he's had his bed, and he's in his pajamas, and it's time, it's time to go to sleep. And I'll say, we're not, praying. We're not going to play now. Clearly. You and I can understand there might be times in which we have prayed for things that ultimately if we had received them or if our prayer had been granted in the way that we want it to be granted, it would not have led to wholeness or healing or would have been a lesser good than the greater good God planned for us. So perhaps today you've been praying for something real passionately and maybe God has something prepared that you and I can't see but is greater than what we could ever ask or imagine. I believe that that's often true. And in fact, I believe the more we pray and the more we grow as Christian people and in faith, the more we'll see that to be the case. But what about the other times? What about the times when it seems hard to imagine this wouldn't have been God's will to make this thing happen? What about a small child who's sick, who doesn't seem to be getting healed? How, how could that not be God's will? I'd like to share a small personal example of this, and I hesitate to share it because um, I don't want to gain your attention about this one issue and also because I know a lot of you are dealing with much, much, much more severe and heavy burdens than the one I'm about to share. But my wife has been really sick for about four months. She has serious dizziness and vertigo all the time. Uh, she feels like a prisoner in her own body. Sometimes it's a little bit less, sometimes it's much worse, but it's always there. It's been constant for four months. We've spent thousands of dollars, been to lots of doctors. She's given all kinds of treatments, and she's not getting any better. She can't drive. She can't go to the grocery store. It's totally changed the way we're living our lives. It's a pretty heavy burden. And boy, we have been praying, God, would you just take this away from her? Would you just make her well? And so far, nothing seems to have changed. Now, again, I, I don't want to make you think that we have serious problems. I know a lot of you are dealing with heavy, heavy burdens, and I don't, I don't want to trivialize those. I just share that to let you know I know what it's like, and I can share lots of other examples, to pray for something and see God not be answering your prayer. And there are biblical examples of the same thing. 
The best example I can think was when Jesus is on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right before he's about to be found by the Roman soldiers, then subsequently stripped naked, flogged, scourged, and crucified, and ultimately buried. And he has this incredible prayer. He says, Father, let this cup, as he calls it, let this cup pass for me. I don't want to drink it. But that request was not granted. As everyone here knows, whether you've ever been in church or not, Christ was crucified. But I do think perhaps even in that example we might have an answer or not an answer, um, a response to the frustration we have when God is not, more than frustration, the pain when God seems not to be hearing what we're praying. And it might be that although we don't understand why things happen in the world the way they happen, and don't let anybody ever try to give you a clear explanation for some of the suffering that's in the world, although we don't understand these things, we have a God who is committed to the world's welfare even to the point of death on a cross. Which then tells us that although we can't see it, God is committed to our welfare no matter what. Perhaps this morning, those of you who are in a serious position and serious trial, maybe you could be praying, God, would you just give me the faith to believe that you care? Would you just give me that kind of faith? That's a powerful prayer to pray. God, give me that. Because I believe that our, God's attitude toward all of us, to the people that are faithful, to the people that are faithless, I believe God's attitude toward the creation that he lovingly made and called into existence is an attitude of perfect love and commitment. Which means we can be the kind of people that can pray with boldness, God, work in our schools. Work in my marriage. God, bless me financially. God, keep us safe on this journey. God, raise up my children to be the kind of people that would be a credit to you and to me. God, bless our church. God, give our president wisdom. God, bring peace in the world. God, be with the poor and the lonely tonight. We can have boldness to pray those kind of prayers because we know we have a God who hears. And the more we pray and the more committed and all in we are to prayer, the more I believe God will show us the results of our prayers. I'm telling you, if we become a praying church and just pray desperately for our neighbors who will never set foot in these doors, I think it'll light us up. Beth Moore tells this great story about when she was a little girl and it was near her birthday and her aunts were there and they said, what would you like, sweetie, for your birthday? She said, an elephant. And they said what adults often do, okay, sure, nice little girl and they gave her something else. And she says as she grew older, she really thought about that attitude a lot. And she says that she has come to believe that, she, that we have a God who wants us to ask for elephants. Because it shows that we believe God cares and can work in the world. And maybe God says, sweetheart, <laughs> you don't need an elephant. Do you know how much they eat? How much space they take up? But I'm so glad you asked. Because I want you to have that kind of faith in me. I'd like us to be the kind of church that's praying for elephants. What if that was our reputation and community? That's a church that prays for elephants, that lets nothing seem too large or too small for God, but offers all things in prayer. I'm telling you, if we pray those kind of prayers, I believe, first of all, we'll see some of them answered. I think God will give us just enough 
to wet our lips, to keep wanting to pray and offer all things. And I believe it will change our community. If we pray with the kind of faith that prays for elephants and asks for them, so to speak, I believe, I believe we have a God who can do it, and I believe we have a prayer that should expect great things. Would you pray with me? God, would you just, would you give us a fire for you through prayer? And would you take a small, just give, show us results of our prayers so that we have enough to keep going and being committed? Lord, help us to be people who, who have love in our hearts for others and translate that into prayer of a passionate, committed, daily, over and over and over persistence. And Lord, we ask that you hear our prayers and that you respond in a way that leads to holing and harmony and wholeness. Amen.